0: We've been going through the Old Testament. We're up to 1 Kings chapter 14. We kind of stopped in the middle of a story last time. So we'll be jumping back into that. But uh, just, again, the background here, at this point in time, the kingdom of Israel has been divided. So that tells us right off the bat there's some bad issues going on. I mean, they're a mess. But uh, we got the northern kingdoms, and there's 10 kingdoms up there, 10 of the tribes up there that make up the northern kingdom, and uh, the southern kingdom of Judah, and we've got, at this point in time, the the kings that are in charge, in the north we've got Jeroboam, and in the south it's Rehoboam, and I told you I nicknamed these guys so I can remember their names better because their names are too close and kind of confusing, so Jeroboam, I call him Jerry in the north, you'll hear me talk about Jerry today, and also the guy in the south, Rehoboam, I call him Rob. And that's, again, just to keep it straight in my head. Hopefully that helps you and doesn't confuse you any. But uh, it's, it's uh, any tool we can have. A reminder, too, I'm still having uh, some issues with the medication stuff. So if you hear funny things come out, just pray for me. And I told Rich if it's bad enough to come up and take the microphone and say, let's let Pastor Chuck's mind rest a little bit more. <laughs> so sometimes funny stuff comes out, okay? All right, so we were in the middle of that story last time. The Lord had sent a man of God to King Jeroboam, to Jerry, with a message of judgment. We saw that at the beginning of chapter 13. He delivered that message to King Jerry, and at first Jerry tried to threaten him, and then he tried to bribe him. But the man of God was able to remain faithful to the word of God at that point, and he didn't give in to either one of those evil responses. So that was good. Unfortunately, as the story went on, this man of God was tricked by an older prophet who happened to be living in that area. And since he believed the lies from this older prophet, he ended up going against God's will himself, and that cost him his life. So let's jump back into the story because we stopped at a really kind of funny part part there. We're going to jump back to chapter 13, and we're going to start at verse 20 to read just to kind of get back into the story here. Uh, 1 Kings 13, verse 20, now it happened as they sat at the table that the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back, this is that old prophet that's going to trick him, and he cried out to the man of God who came from Judah saying, thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the commandment which the Lord your God commanded you, but you came back, you ate bread and you drank water in the place of which the Lord said to you, Eat no bread and drink no water. Your corpse shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. So it was, after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk, that he saddled a donkey for him, the prophet whom he had brought back. When he was gone, a lion met him on the road and killed him. So this is the man of God that went against the word of God here by by listening to the old prophet and fell for that, that trap. So this lion met him on the road and killed him, and his corpse was thrown on the road, and the donkey stood by it. The lion also stood by the corpse. So then we got verse 25 is where we stopped last time. And there men passed by, and they saw the corpse thrown on the road, and the lion standing by the corpse. Then they went and told it in the city where the old prophet dwelt. Now, when the, old pro- when the prophet who had brought him back from the way heard it, he said, it is the man of God who was disobedient to the word of the Lord. And notice what he says here. Therefore, the Lord has delivered him to the lion. Wow. Which has torn him and killed him according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to him. So this, this actual event here turns out to be another warning to the people that are living in that area. The Lord allowed this to happen just the way it did to emphasize a very important principle to these people. God keeps his word so you had better obey him. He's already told King Jerry, you need to, to get your act together here because God's coming later on to destroy you, this place, right? He's going to take down this altar of false worship that you've, you've got and he's going to destroy it all and burn the bones of the prophets on here. So he's been given a very solemn warning and message then and everything that's happening now is just adding evidence that when God says something, he will follow through. So you better pay close attention to him and obey him. Boy, what a lesson for us too. We need to hear this warning from the Lord and we need to hear it repeatedly over and over. That the Lord is faithful to, to remind us of this throughout his word. That he is going to do what he said he's going to do. So when God warns us, we better say, man, that's a warning I better listen to. <laughs> you know, We, we hope when we warn our kids that they're paying attention, right? Well, God's the same way with his kids. So the next time you get a chance to go to the zoo and you see a lion, I thought this would be interesting, just try to picture in your mind what this looked like. You've got the dead prophet's body thrown in the road. I mean, he's not laying there nice. You can The people coming by could see that something happened to mangle this guy and throw him in the road. And then you got this lion standing next to it. And on the other side, you've got a donkey standing there. And when you see the size of that lion in the zoo, wow. Just try to picture that what that, that awesome sight looked like. So the Lord can even remind us with a visual picture like that in our mind that the Lord is not somebody you want to mess with. Okay, Look at verse 27 as it goes on. And he spoke to his sons. So this is the old prophet talking here. And he said, saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled it. Then he went and found his corpse thrown on the road, and the donkey and the lion standing by the corpse. And it mentions here very clearly, in case we didn't catch this, the lion had not eaten the corpse, nor torn the donkey. So again, this had to be from the Lord. You would expect that the lion would naturally eat the corpse and then eat the donkey for dessert, right? But this scene isn't natural, it's supernatural. The Lord knows how to get her attention, you know, and at times, he leaves some pretty heavy fingerprints. So you can have no doubt that he was involved in the situation. And this is one of those places, because everybody looking at that would go, I don't get this picture at all. This, this is not normal, you know? <laughs> so obviously, the Lord's hand was on this. Now, with all of this stuff going on, was this enough to cause King Jerry and the northern tribes of Israel to repent? Unfortunately, no. Verse 29 goes on, And the prophet took up the corpse of the man of God, he laid it on the donkey, and he brought it back. So the old prophet came to the city to mourn and to bury him. Then he laid the corpse in his own tomb, and they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother! So it was after he had buried him that he spoke to his sons, saying, When I am dead... Then bury me in the tomb where the man of God is buried, lay my bones beside his bones. And again, I think we're seeing some more regret from this old prophet. He knows he deceived this man of God and he knows the Lord used him to point out how this guy was going to die because of his disobedience to the Lord. So I think he's, he's regretting what he has done and he's saying, uh, you can still lay me right next to this guy. and it's almost as though it would be honored to be laid next to his bones. Verse 32 goes on, for the saying which he cried out by the word of the Lord, he's still talking about this, against the altar in Bethel and against all the shrines and the high places which are in the cities of Samaria, will surely come to pass. So the old prophet, he reaffirms that message that the Lord has sent to the king already. And what he just experienced, you know, he has no doubt that God is going to keep his word. I mean, here he is sitting at the table eating with this guy, and the word of the Lord comes to him, because you disobey God, you're gonna die. And then he sees the very event happen. So he's like, Man, if God said that altar's coming down, and all these things are gonna happen, they're gonna happen. So here he is proclaiming this now to all the people in the area, and man, they should be listening. It's amazing to me that God is trying again and again over and over to get these people attention and they're just not listening. They don't they don't care. Okay, so he goes on to verse 33. After this event, Jeroboam did not turn away from his evil way. (laughs) This statement is so sad. But it shows us another very important principle, one that you and I don't even want to hear, okay? Here's the principle. Some people will never turn away from their evil ways no matter how severely God warns them. That is so sad. We also see this principle in Revelation 6. If you want to take a look there with me. Revelation chapter 6. I mean, the Lord has done and will continue to do all kinds of amazing, wild, crazy stuff to get people's attention. And they just, they don't want to pay it. They don't want to submit to him. And it's the hardness of man's heart. Revelation chapter 6. I'll read this to you if you want from We're going to start at verse 12. He said, I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth of hair. The moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it's rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. So these people knew that these catastrophes that were just listed, they knew they were from the Lord, but they still did not repent. Instead, they tried to hide. Instead, they tried to say, I just wish I were dead. Man, your, your, your horrors are just beginning uh, when that happens, you know. But again, the hardness of man's heart. Sometimes, no matter what the Lord does, no matter how extreme the warning, some people will never turn away from their evil ways. And that, that breaks our heart to hear it. So you can imagine how that is to the Lord after doing so much to try to get people and get their attention. So back to First uh, Kings chapter 13 that statement at the beginning of verse 33. After this event, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way, but again he made priests from every class of people for the high places. Remember, we saw that last time. He just picked up people and put them in charge. They had nothing to do with the call of God. And it says, whoever wished, he consecrated him and became one of the priests of the high places. So he could be one of the worst criminals of that time, unrepentant, never changed, still evil, And if you show up and say, I'll be a priest there, he'll say, okay, I'll make you one. Wow. So Jerry's attitude was this. Forget God's calling a person into the ministry. Forget following God's perfect design and how he wants things done. And just keep doing things your own wicked way. And look what happens when you do this. Look at verse 34. And this thing was the sin of the house of Jeroboam so as to exterminate and destroy it from the face of the earth. So, hey, uh, doing things your own way, how's that turning out for you, buddy? Woo! Wow! And Lord shows us this stuff, you know, so hopefully we wake up and maybe we can wake up our loved ones if the Lord wills and allows and say, hey, you don't want to mess with the Lord. (laughs) I know our society has tried to make God look like he's weaker and weaker, but he's not. He's being very gracious right now. You know, so you need to pay attention to him quickly here, all right? Okay, so uh, chapter 14, it says, At that time, Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, became sick. This is interesting, too. Here his son is, and uh, this is the king that's, I've been calling Jerry, you know, Jeroboam here. He's the king of the north, not a good guy. God's tried already to reach him, and he's just done things his own evil way. And now, all of a sudden, one of his sons becomes sick. And apparently, this wasn't a little cold, as we'll see we go further in the story. He's apparently deathly sick. So King Jerry here, he's going to try to get some help for him, okay? Verse 2, Jeroboam said to his wife, Please arise and disguise yourself, that they may not recognize you as the wife of Jeroboam, and go to Shiloh. Indeed, Ahijah the prophet is there, who told me that I would be king over this people. So Jerry here, he decides to send his wife, but he wants her to disguise herself because he doesn't want anyone to know, you know, that she's his wife. And why is that? Because he's sending her down to Shiloh, which is in the southern kingdom of Judah, and he wants her to go seek guidance of a a real prophet, one who's a prophet of the true God of Israel, okay? But he doesn't want his people knowing that, (laughs) because he, he's, he's afraid of losing control over his folks. Remember he made the false calves and the false gods I mean the calf idols there so he could keep his people under him there and not go away. But you had to ask this question well why didn't Jerry go to his own priests that he appointed? The priests that served the half god, the, half, the uh, calf gods that he, he had made. And you think about that because Jerry knew that his whole religious system you know that he cooked up it wasn't real it was all fake including those false gods that he had made to look like calves, he knew that his false religious system had no power to help him. Now, doesn't that bug you when you see a guy like this who's been leading a large number of people down a false path, and he knows that it's a dead-end road that he's leading them down? I hope it does bother you and me. You know, as believers, we should be interested in truth. I mean, that's why we are believers, because we found the truth. Right? Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and life. You know? So, truth is a huge deal with true believers. That's why it should bother us when we see all the lies and the deception that's in the world. And I think it should especially bother us when we see these things going on in false religions and even some of the false beliefs that have crept into Christianity. And I'm sure you've probably heard some of the same stories that I've heard about these charlatans that are teaching in the name it and claim it bunch. These folks claim very boldly that if you have faith, then you should never be sick. And yet, I've heard, as probably you have too, that some of those very folks, they get their flu shots regularly. Yeah. And they privately visit doctors, but they don't want their followers to know that. Just like this guy. I even heard about one guy who had some health problems. When it leaked out, it got very public. It said he was getting medical attention. He tried to explain to these people that, well, I wasn't really sick. I was just getting medical help for the symptoms that I was experiencing. I don't think his followers swallowed that one too good. But that's the story he tried to give them. But that's what this story in our passage today reminds us of. You know, False teachers who know better than they take their own products seriously. I even heard one time I was talking to a guy who was from the Mormons and he had left the Mormon uh, garbage there that was out there. But uh, he told me one time, he said, you know, I've been in a long time. And he said, I know the people at the top, they know their teachings are bogus. They're just enjoying the power and the money, just like King Jeroboam here. You know, it's sad that so many people are deceived and fooled by such charlatans. But the good news is, is that these false deceivers, they're getting away with anything. They're going to have to answer to the God of truth one day, and it will not end well for them. You know, I like what it says in the book of Jude about false teachers. It says, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Wow. So we can take comfort in the fact, you know, that even though they're carelessly destroying the lives of many people, by leading them down a road to destruction, that they will pay dearly for all eternity for the evil crimes they've made of deception. Now, someone pointed out here about King Jerry, (laughs) how foolish this was here. He believed that this prophet could see in the future good enough to tell him what was gonna happen with his son. But he apparently didn't think he could see past the disguise that Jerry's wife was gonna wear. <laughs> I mean, wow. We we can really look foolish at times, you know, when we don't fully trust the Lord. It can look really bad. Somebody else pointed out that nowhere do we see Jerry ask for prayer for his son. Isn't that something? You know, he just wanted a quick fix from this prophet. Just tell him what's gonna happen, that's all I need. But prayer, what was really the thing that was needed here, right? You know, of course, that would have meant that Jerry would have had to humble himself, and we know that wasn't going to happen. He's not that kind of guy. Verse 3 goes on. And take with you, he's telling his wife now as she goes in disguise, take with you ten loaves, some cakes, and a jar of honey, and go to him. He will tell you what will become of the child. So see, he's confident that this guy is going to have an answer for you. He's going to tell you what's going to happen with our child. Okay, but he tells her to take this, this gift to him. And that wouldn't be uncommon, you take a gift to a prophet like this, and when you're asking for his help, you're going to bless him for, hopefully, him blessing you with an answer. But we've got to notice something here. This gift that he tells his wife to bring, this is actually, would be the gift of a poor person, not the gift of a king. So I understand this part of his ruse here. He's trying to fool people that this isn't the wife of King Jerry, But it also sounds like he's a bit of a cheapskate, which probably shouldn't surprise us. When you get a guy who will deceive a large number of people, selfishness and greed is definitely a large part of his character, okay? Verse four goes on, and Jeroboam's wife did so. I think it's interesting the Lord told us that. She arose and she went to Shiloh. She came to the house of Ahijah, but Ahijah could not see for his eyes were glazed by reason of his age. Now, a couple of things here in this verse. Number one, Jerry's wife chooses to go along with this deception. If you notice in verse two, when Jerry talked to her about this, he said, please go do this, okay? So it appears that it was her choice whether to be part of this or not. And keep that in mind, because it's going to have something to do with the story down the road. Number two here, so Ahijah... Obviously, a man of God and a man who has faith is seen here with an illness, and it appears that he's nearly blind. So this is just one place in the word of God that shows that the teaching of the name it and claim it people that say, if you have faith, then you should never be sick, is wrong. So please don't fall for that one, okay? That's spread throughout the scripture. We see very godly people who have illness and troubles and everything else. So uh, don't fall for the, the lies they come up with in that one. It's kind of interesting, too, here. If you notice at the end of verse 4, describes his illness a little bit. It says his eyes were glazed. And if you've got a footnote on that, it means his eyes were set by the reason of his old age. And it, 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 the idea is that, you know, if you ever see the blind person who's been blind for some time, their eyes seem to be only in one direction. I mean, they always are set right there. And that's the description of him that if you went to him, you'd know he's not able to see because he's got that look, you know, where he's just kind of looking off and his eyes don't really look around. So the Lord describes it to us pretty clearly here. Verse 5, it says, Now the Lord had said to Ahijah, so the Lord had spoken to him earlier and said, Here is the wife of Jeroboam, coming to ask you something about her son, for he is sick. Thus and thus you shall say to her, so the Lord's going to describe this later on, and it says, for it will be when she comes in that she will pretend to be another woman. (laughs) So it's interesting, Ahijah here, the prophet, he didn't need eyes to be able to see, because the Lord gave him full disclosure of what was going on. And as a matter of fact, his insight from the Lord was probably far better than his own sight would have been because Jerry's wife was in disguise. Isn't that interesting? But the Lord sees through every disguise and he sees through all the trickery and the treachery of man. Nothing is hidden from God's sight. So verse six. And so it was when Ahijah heard the sound of her footsteps as she came through the door, he said, come in, wife of Jeroboam. (laughs) Why do you pretend to be another person? (laughs) For I have been sent to you with bad news. It's kind of funny that Ahijah gets to ask her, why do you pretend to be another person? <laughs> what a greeting, you know? It's like, I went through all this trouble to put a disguise on, and do you know who I am already? Yeah. So here's it's kind of funny. Here's a blind guy asking a lady who's in disguise, why is she trying to disguise herself from a blind man? <laughs> kind of funny. I love the large sense of humor sometimes, you know? It's just really good here. So he then goes on to tell her that she may have thought that she was coming to see him, but he says that he was actually sent by the Lord to speak to her. So this is all a setup by the Lord. He knew that Jerry was going to pull this stunt of disguising his wife when his son became sick, and Jerry may have fooled his people by doing this, but he did not fool the Lord. Now, i got to say this too as I look at this, His son being sick, I see as another thing the Lord was trying to do to get his attention, you know? And you wonder, we mentioned this before, you wonder with people that you and I know and we have witnessed to and talked about the Lord, you wonder how many times the Lord has tried to get their attention by different situations, sickness or whatever else. And you know, even some of the folks you pray for on our our prayer list, you you almost hear it as as we're praying, it's like, God's trying to get their attention. He's trying to get their attention. We say, Lord, please, please wake him up. That's our prayer, you know. And, and by the way, when, when we see that, what we saw in the last chapter, that some people are never going to listen, no matter how many times God warns them, it doesn't mean we stop praying. We continue to pray for people. We continue to tell them about Christ. We don't stop. We don't know. You know, Jesus said, I know my sheep, and they're going to hear my voice. We don't know them. You know, we don't see any markers on people and say, that's one of God's sheep, that's one, that's one. No, we spread the gospel to every creature, just like he said, and we leave the rest up to the Lord, right? That's our job. So let's go on to verse 7 here. So he says, go tell Jeroboam, thus says the Lord God of Israel. So here's the prophet giving direction to Jeroboam's wife. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, because I exalted you from among the people, and made you ruler over my people Israel. So right away, the Lord reminds Jerry that the only reason that he is the king over the northern tribes of Israel is because God is the one who exalted him and made him ruler. And man, I tell you what, we need to realize that whenever we're in an exalted position, it's only because the Lord put us there. So we need to make sure that we glorify God in that position. Verse 8 goes on as he's continuing this message through Jeroboam, through his wife. It says, and the Lord tore the kingdom away from the house of David. Sounds pretty violent, huh? He tore the kingdom away from the house of David and he gave it to you. Yet you have not been as my servant David who kept my commandments and who followed me with all his heart to do only what was right in my eyes. So the Lord also reminds Jerry that the only reason he has people in his kingdom is because they were a gift from God. And God tore them away from another kingdom. So it's kind of implied that God can tear them away from your kingdom too, Jerry. And he can give them to someone else. So you think there's a little respect that's due there, you know, to the Lord. Then the Lord, here is going to he begins to list the crimes and failures of Jerry. And he's, he brings reference up to King David. So first of all, he's telling him, you're not a good servant like King David was. God even describes what a good servant is like. David was obedient to the Lord. He kept his commandments, he said. He was totally committed to God. He served him with all of his heart, okay? And we know that when David sinned, and he did, Lord showed us that, David repented. But when Jerry sins, there's no desire to repent. He just keeps going forward into his sin with no turning around. Jerry's response was about the exact opposite of King David's, all right? And you know that the Lord gives us all the opportunity to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. Some are going to respond positively, and some are going to reject that same opportunity, which is really sad. The opportunity is there. Verse 9 goes on. He says, but you have done more evil than all who were before you. Wow, you do not want to hear those words from the Lord. He says, for you have gone and made for yourself other gods and molded images to provoke me to anger and have cast me behind your back. So here's another one of the crimes the Lord lists that he did. Jerry did more evil than all who were before him. So he reached a new low for the kings of Israel. The Lord described what he had done. Not only had he made other gods and idols to intentionally provoke the Lord, kind of like shaking your fist in the face of God. And that's kind of interesting. I'm glad the Lord said that because as we look at Jeroboam's life, we don't really notice him, you know, going around shaking his fist in the face of God. But when the Lord describes that, it's because the Lord sees his heart. He says, I know your attitude. You did this intentionally. I offered you a great future. I said, you could be like King David. I'll have you a, a dynasty after your name. Man, your, your heritage will go on and on if you obey me and follow my ways. And since he turned away from that, he said, you did that in spite of me. So what is he saying? I'm better than you, God. I know better than you. People say that in this world, don't they? Folks you talk to, they think they know better than God, right? So he reached a new low for the kings of Israel, and it's really amazing. Jerry also did this, the Lord says, you cast God Behind your back, okay? Now, this same phrase is used in reference to what God has done with our sins and we trusted Christ. Take a look over at Isaiah chapter 38 to see this. If you want to look at it, if not, I'll read it to you. But Isaiah chapter 38, <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 38 in verse 17. It says, it's verse 17, Indeed it was for my own peace that I had great bitterness, but you have lovingly delivered my soul from the pit of corruption, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. Okay? When the Lord says this about our sins, that means that he forgets them. I've thrown them behind my back, I don't see them anymore, and he, he's forgetting them is the point. He doesn't even think about them. But when Jerry treated God himself that way, it implies an intense looking down on God as though God didn't even deserve any respect. Wow. So in case you had any thought that maybe, maybe this Jerry's a good guy, maybe he just made a few mistakes along the way, he has a hatred for God. He despises God. He looks down on him, has no respect for him at all. And only God can call that. We can't see a person's heart. God can. So when he says, you have cast me behind your back, He's saying, you look down on me with no respect. Now, when people treat God that way, it angers him greatly. Look how God was going to deal with Jerry because of this. Look at verse 10, back in 1 Kings chapter 14 and verse 10. Therefore, behold, I will bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam and will cut off from Jeroboam every male in Israel bond and free. I will take away the remnant of of the house of Jeroboam as one takes away refuse until it is all gone now the Lord begins to list the consequences here of Jerry's evil action his evil actions first he tells him disaster is coming to your house and it's going to be brought there by the Lord so you know this is a sure thing coming if you don't yet Jerry you will because it's going to happen Secondly, the Lord is going to thoroughly wipe out every male in Jerry's family. So there's going to be no one left to carry on any kind of dynasty or even his family line. The name's going to be done, okay? And third, the Lord also describes taking out Jerry's family line to be similar to taking out the garbage. Oh, wow. So we know the Lord doesn't waste words. So his family must have had some pretty raunchy characters in it, all right? And by the way, you're going to reap what you're going to sow, right? You, re- you, uh, you sow something, you know that's the harvest you're going to get. Jerry looked down on the Lord. So the Lord looked down on Jerry's family. So people need to be extremely careful how they treat the Lord. Man, you can get the fear of the Lord from passages like this, huh? Mercy six, Verse 11. The Lord's not done yet. There's more coming for, for King Jerry. The dog shall eat whoever belongs to Jeroboam and dies in the city... And the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field, for the Lord has spoken. And the Lord's saying, not one guy in your family is going to get a decent burial. Every member of your family, doesn't matter where they die, their bodies are just going to be animal food. Wow. Man, oh man. You do not mess with the Lord. Verse 12 Arise, therefore. Go to your own house. So this is a message directly to Jeroboam's wife now from Ahijah, he's still talking to her. When your feet enter the city, the child shall die. Wow. Ahijah, you know, he's telling Jerry's wife what's gonna happen to the child. That's true when Jeroboam said, go to him, he'll tell you what's gonna happen. He did, he told him, and he told her up front, this is bad news, this is not good news, okay? So instant death when she returns. That's the news he has for her. So get this from her perspective. She's seen her son alive for the last time. The next time she sees his body, he will already be gone. Now before you start to feel sorry for her, remember I brought this up earlier. She made the decision to go along with Jerry's scheme. She went ahead and disguised herself and she's involved in deceiving the people by what she did. So she's not innocent at all of this. Okay. Verse 13 goes on. And all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him. Don't miss this. (laughs) For he is the only one of Jeroboam who shall come to the grave. He's the only one that's going to get a decent burial. Out of all of Jerry's family, the Lord just said he's going to destroy and the animals are going to eat the bodies. This is the only one who's going to get a decent burial. Look what it says. Because in him there is found something good toward the Lord God of Israel in the house of Jeroboam. This is an amazing verse because it tells us this child was the only one in Jerry's entire family that was going to get a decent burial and that they were going to mourn for. There's never even mourning mentioned for the rest of them. And the Lord even explained why. Because in this child was found something good toward the Lord God of Israel. It sounds like this child may have had a heart for the Lord. Like somebody said, the Lord took this child out of the family so he didn't have to be raised in such an evil, God-despising home. Wow. A lot of times we don't get this. We don't understand why would the Lord allow this good son to die? But I want you to see something in Isaiah 57. Praise the Lord. He gives us answers for stuff. You know, he, he helps us to try to get What he's doing sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes he gives us answers I don't think we deserve, but praise the Lord he gives them to us. Isaiah 57, verse 1. The righteous perishes, and no man takes it to heart. Merciful men are taken away, while no one considers that the righteous is taken away from evil. He shall enter into peace, they shall rest in their beds, each one walking in his uprightness. Now, back in our passage in, in 1 Kings 14, it's very interesting to me as the Lord talks about this son, the only one that's going a decent burial. We're told at the very beginning of the passage here, his name is Abijah. You know what Abijah means? <laughs> it means the son of Yahweh. I don't know why they named him that, but apparently he did have a heart for the Lord. Isn't that interesting? And the Lord knows this stuff. Like I said, we can't read hearts. God can. He said, there's only one good person in your family, and I'm taking him home. (laughs) He doesn't need to be with you. So verse 14, back in 1 Kings 14, moreover, the Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam. This is the day what even now? Yes, so the Lord already had a man who was waiting in the wings to take over after Jerry, and that man's gonna be the instrument the Lord used to wipe out all of Jerry's family. We'll, we'll see that in the next chapter when we get a chance to dig in there. Verse 15 says, "'For the Lord will strike Israel "'as a reed is shaken in the water.'" A reed that's in the water is not very sturdy. It says, he says, "'He will uproot Israel from his good land "'which he gave to their fathers "'and will scatter them beyond the river.'" Because they have made their wooden images provoking the Lord to anger. And he will give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam, who sinned and who made Israel sin. So Jeroboam is going to be responsible for his sins. He's going to be responsible for leading other people into sin. And the people themselves, they're going to be guilty for their own sin as well. Okay, So these people, they're guilty for following his lead. So they're going to be punished for all of the sins of idolatry too. Now there's there's always this double-sided responsibility if you think this one through. A person can lead you away from sin or into sin. And they're going to be responsible for where they lead you. But you're going to be held responsible for your actions, your response to that. It's like the one who teaches the word of God to believers or the one who proclaims Christ to the lost person. The one who teaches or evangelizes, they're going to be responsible for whether they spoke the whole truth. And the ones hearing this teaching or the evangelizing, they're going to be held responsible for their reaction, whether they received the truth or whether they rejected the truth. There's responsibility on both sides. Now, the sin here that Jerry led all these people into, since they were not going to repent from it, they were going to eventually get kicked out of the promised land. That's what the Lord told them here. And this is going to happen about 300 years So they had 300 more years to get their act together and repent, but they didn't do that. So here's another important principle. Unrepentant sin, sin that we refuse to repent and turn away from, unrepentant sin eventually catches up with us. The Lord is very patient in giving us time to repent, but if we continue to refuse him, the Lord can one day bring some harsh consequences. And when that happens, we shouldn't say, why me, Lord? (laughs) We should say, oh me, I messed up. I did not repent. Verse 17, then Jeroboam's wife arose, she's been sitting there with Ahijah, and departed and came to Tirzah. When she came to the threshold of the house, the child died, just like the Lord said. And they buried him, and all Israel mourned for him, according to the word of the Lord, that's what the Lord said would happen, which he spoke through his servant Ahijah the prophet. So it was exactly like the Lord said. Again now, this is further proof to the people that they needed to take God seriously and depend from the direction they were going. But sadly, they still refused to pay attention to the Lord. So we said, this, unfortunately, this passage shows us no matter what the Lord does, people still don't pay attention. They don't listen. Verse 19 goes on. Now, the rest of the acts of Jeroboam, how he made war, how he reigned, indeed, they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel. The period that Jeroboam reigned was 22 years, so he rested with his fathers, then Nadab his son reigned in his place. Not sad, but there's no mention here in his, in his future history of any kind of repentance. So despite all the Lord did to try and get the attention of King Jerry, he did not repent. He just carried on in his selfish ways till the day that he died. And we're told there at the end of verse 20 that actually one of his sons reigned. It was a very short reign for him just a couple of years. And we're told later in chapter 15 he wasn't any better than his dad. Okay, let's go on to verse 21. In Rehoboam, now we're going to look down to the southern kingdom of Judah so this is Rob as I call him here but Rehoboam the son of Solomon he reigned in Judah Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem the city which the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there his mother's name was Naamah and Ammonitus interesting it says now Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord so here's the southern kingdom they're doing nasty stuff too and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins, which they committed more than all that their fathers had done. They were worse than the folks before them, for they also had built for themselves high places, sacred pillars, and wooden images on every hill and under every green tree. So any place they could find a spot for an idol, they put one up. And they were also perverted persons in the land. This is some of the uh, uh, temple prostitutes and in prostitutes in the religious ceremonies that all the uh, the pagans did in there, and they just took all that in. Look what it says here. They did according to all the abominations of the nations which the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. That's a lot. They took everything they could that was nasty, okay? So Lord here gives us a quick, uh, couple of quick snapshots of the southern kingdom, and we see that they're pretty much a mess too. And one of the things we, we look at is, you know what? If you don't walk with the Lord, look how much junk can creep into your life. This was a nasty place. I don't think you'd enjoy living there if you want to live for the Lord. So these folks had actually provoked the Lord to jealousy, we're told. You know, the, the love and praise that should have been directed toward God alone, they directed toward all this junk, you know. And we got to be careful. What do we direct the love that God should get from our life? Where do we direct it? It should go to him, nowhere else. Verse 25, there it happened in the fifth year of King Reboam that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. I think this was an attempt by the Lord to get their attention. Okay, Notice it was only the fifth year, so in five years this is happening in the southern kingdom. He took away the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took away everything. He also took away all the gold shields which Solomon had made. So the Lord allows the enemy to come in and take all the valuable stuff. Okay, Verse 27, then King Rehoboam, made bronze shields in their place, didn't have any gold left, so he used bronze, he, he replaced the shields, made the bronze out of them, and he committed them to the hands of the captains of the guard, who guarded the doorway of the king's house. And whoever, whenever the king entered the house of the Lord, the guards carried them, then brought them back into the guard room. <laughs> so they were put out very quickly to be seen, and then they were put away. <laughs> okay, And it's amazing, in King Solomon's day, these golden shields were were boldly proclaimed. It's like, wow, look at this place. Look what God has done. Look at all this blessing. And now they have to just kind of bring these shields out very quickly and put them back <laughs> so nobody steals them. And it's just amazing what's happened. The picture you get here is someone who's going to try to keep up the outer image even though the heart is gone. All the valuable stuff is gone. And it's sad, you know, but, but churches will try to do this too. They, they're not really walking with the Lord. They're not close to the Lord but they want to keep up the appearance, you know. So they, they bolster up the image on the outside. And if you remember in Revelation, we got the church at Ephesus, right, that they had it all going on the outside. Man, they had the programs, they had everything happening. God says, yeah, you've got a few good things going here. You're watching the doctrine and teeth, that's taught and all that's good. <clears throat> but he said, you lost your first love. You know, so they, they try to make the outside look good, but the inside is failing. And, Lord, and you know, we, we have to pray, Lord, please don't let us get to that place. You know, please wake us up if we've gone the wrong direction, if we've lost something here and we need to be closer to you, Lord. Wake us up, even if you have to send the pastor to the hospital and have major surgery and things go wrong. If that's what it takes, please do that because this is his church. And we don't want to mess anything up. We want to make disciples for the Lord. So whatever it takes. And you know, guys, I thought about this in the hospital. Thought about it before, but it really came life in the hospital. When we have communion and we break those cups and we're saying, Lord, break my life, if that's what you need, you think about it differently when you're in the hospital. <laughs> you're thinking, whew. One pastor, he went through some tough stuff and he said, I think about that when the Lord says, will you do anything to let me break your life any way I want to? He said, I th- first my thought is, could you find somebody else? You know, <laughs> But he said, obviously, I said, no, Lord, whatever you need to do. That's our heart. We don't want to be like this. Lord, let us not get to that place. Verse 29, the rest of the acts of Boam and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? There was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all their days, so that's between Rob and Jerry all their days. And no kidding, what would you expect from these guys? They're both living so selfish. And James talks about that in chapter 4. we We're going to check that out later. Verse 31, so Rehoboam rested with his fathers. He was buried with his fathers in the city of David. His mother's name was Naamah and Ammonitus. The Lord tells us that again. Then Abijah, his son, reigned in his place. Somebody said, you know, they think the Lord's reminding us here by keep bringing up his mom who's a foreigner that it was Solomon's marriage to foreign wives that created this whole mess. Could have been avoided by obedience to the Lord. So the lesson for us is don't think that your sin isn't going to have serious consequences down the road. It's better to repent now and continue to obey the Lord before you start down that, uh, that spiral of painful consequences because there will be a lot of regret on the other side. Sorry to end on that note, but I think the Lord wants us to see this stuff and wants us to feel that from passages like this. They just kind of grate you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the tremendous love you have for us as your children. Father, I pray that you you grab our heart, change us, Lord. Make us to the, more conformed to the image of your dear son. Father, we thank you for these passages. Although they're painful, they're more painful to you, Lord, that you went through these and you see these. But help us learn these lessons. We don't want to be like these guys. We want to be obedient to you, Lord. Help us today to surrender again. And Lord, as we were singing earlier, we need you every moment. And every moment is a great moment to repent. So help us this day. Lord, unfortunately, our selfishness will probably lead us to sin through this day before we're done, just because that's who we are. We're sinners and we're selfish. Help us to repent quickly, Lord. We thank you for the love and forgiveness you always give us in your tremendous grace. And, Lord, we pray if anyone today is watching on the live stream or uh, someone doesn't know Jesus today, please get a hold of their heart. They need you, Lord. Before it's too late, they need you. We thank you that you died to pay for our sins and we give you back all praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' precious name, amen.